0: Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have as the body of Christ to come together and worship and glorify who you are. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you've given to us and that it has the power to transform us and the power to help us through anything. Father, I thank you that we can come together today and encourage one another and build one another up and brag about who you are. I lift up the children as they go downstairs, and I ask that you would fill them with the truth, that they would be excited to know what you have done and who you are. Thank you for the adults and the helpers that will be downstairs. Fill them with words and grace. I thank you, Father God, that we have opportunity to teach the next generation about your greatness. Father, thank you. Thank you for all you have for us and what you've done for us through your Son. In his name, amen. Amen. Children, you may be discused. Discused. Is that a word? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm going to continue. This is uh, our second in the series miracles. See what our Father can do. I'm excited so much every, every time I think about this and as I go through preparing for these messages because God is still the same. He hasn't changed so he's still the God who does miracles and it's, it's fascinating. It's so encouraging to know that our God is so powerful and mighty and he still loves us. There's many familiar stories of miracles in Scripture. It's awesome and amazing and powerful to remember what our Father can do. I think it's appropriate for us to do that bragging, to brag about the God who has saved us. So let's do that today as we look at another well-known miracle. And I want to go over some things that I, I, I did last week, but it's important for us because We call these miracles, not regulars, because miracles don't happen regularly, and we can't fully explain them. There are many things that God has done and we don't understand. They don't adhere to to science. We, We just don't know how he does the things that he does. And we need to remember he doesn't need to tell us. It's common in our culture to deny the descriptions of God's miracles and classify them as as myths. And as we go through this series, we're going to see many stories that those outside of, of faith, outside of Christianity, don't recognize these as truth. But God has given to us the Bible, a unique source for understanding who He is and not how things work so some of this we take by faith, but we need to remember that the, the miracles that we're going to look at, and the other miracles that you find in Scripture, and the miracles that we see in our lives, illustrate the uniqueness of God. He has unlimited resources, unlimited power, and unlimited knowledge. That is that's so encouraging. The Bible was not intended to us, God never intended it to be a textbook of how He does what He does. It's not a science book to tell us how the universe works. There's three purposes of the Bible I mentioned last week, and I want to emphasize them again this week. Those three purposes are this. The Bible reveals to us who God is, reveals God to us. The Bible reveals our need to be saved from our sins. And the Bible presents God's perfect plan of salvation. Those are the important things that we remember about Scripture. Today's story is about the parting of the Red Sea. And for many in our culture, they would not recognize this as truth. This is historical truth, and we'll see why as we go on through today, why I would say that. This is from Exodus 14, but for us to to gather all of what we need to gather about this story, about this miracle, there's some background. So I'm going to go through this kind of quickly, but I want you to get the sense of, of why we're here. This story actually has its, its foundation, has its beginning, clear back in Genesis 15. There's a prophecy there about Israel. It's given to Abram. Verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And what we discover if you go to the Old Testament is that Abram has a son named Isaac, and you also find that from the time Isaac was a little boy, until God delivers Israel from Egypt, the Israelites were afflicted in various countries. So there's this this time period of, of affliction. They weren't in the promised land. The history goes on, and Abraham's son Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has his name changed. God changes it. He changes it to Israel. And he has 12 sons. And this is the beginning of the nation of Israel. This is the beginning of of what we would call the Hebrew people or the nation of Israel. One of those 12 sons was Joseph. And Joseph got along really well with his brothers, which caused them to sell him into slavery. Wouldn't that be fun? And out of that sale, he, he ended up in Egypt. All of that was by God's design. There's some miracles in that. Joseph becomes, by God's design, the, the second most powerful man in Egypt. Only Pharaoh was more powerful than Joseph. There's a worldwide famine that's taking place. And because Joseph is in the position that he's in and follows the guidance that God has given him, Egypt has food. So Israel takes his entire family to Egypt to escape the famine. Because of Joseph's position, the nation of Israel survives. When Israel took his family there, there were 70 people who initially went to Egypt. In Egypt, the, uh, the family of, of um, Israel multiplied and their numbers grew. There, there became more and more Israelites. Time passes on, Joseph dies. Pharaoh dies, there's a new Pharaoh, there's a new ruler in Egypt, and there begins to be more and more oppression on the Israelites. They become slaves that are oppressed. Not only that, but the Egyptians see that these Israelite people are multiplying, and there's a population explosion going on amongst the Israelites, and they try to limit that that growth and so the pharaohs say to the midwives kill all the infant boys so they're trying to control the the population of their slaves and you, if you remember the story it's another miracle moses is placed into a, a mar, an ark of reeds and and he's he's rescued by pharaoh's daughter and moses grows up in in the king's household after he's, he's an adult, he realizes that he's connected to the Jewish people and, and he finds this, this sense that he's got to do something for his, his people and, and he knows that God has called him to deliver Israel from their slavery in Egypt. And if you remember the story, Moses is, is used by God and there's 10 plagues that, are, that God places on the Egyptians. And the last plague was the death of the firstborn. The Israelites were protected from that plague by painting blood on their doors. This was the beginning of what the Israelites called the Passover. Incredibly important feast. As a matter of fact, this was the most important celebration in all of Judaism. And this is where it begins. So that has all happened. And the the firstborn have all been killed and the Pharaoh finally goes, we can't handle this anymore. Leave. So the nation of Israel leaves. And as they leave, God is leading them with a, a pillar of fire and a, and a cloud and, and there's all this stuff happening and, and all of Israel leaves Egypt. But, you know, the Pharaoh can't handle that and he becomes angry. And he pursues them and And even in his hardness of heart and and all of the the chariots and horses and soldiers and everything that's happening, all of this is by God's design. This is part of God's plan. And that's where we pick up this story. So that's the background. And this is where we pick up what God is doing in Exodus 14. And there's no way I can just go, let's just do a little snippet here and snippet there. I want God's word to speak. So we're going to read this. Follow along in your Bible if you can. This is an incredible story. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihathroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, now this is an important part of the story because they've gone, and God is leading them. But God leads his people in, in such a way that, that it looks like they're wandering. He takes them up to the north and then they backtrack and they're coming back down south. So he's deliberately causing it to appear like they're just wandering. They're stuck. So Pharaoh thinks that they're caught between his army and the sea. But that's all by God's plan. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped by the sea, by Pihathroth, in front of Baal-zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, The Egyptians were marching after them. So the Egyptians could see that this this is happening. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said this to Moses Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Just a short amount of time of wandering. And they were ready to go back to Egypt. The Israelites were overcome with fear and doubt. They could see the army coming. The sea was before them. They're trapped. But this is all by God's plan. His plan was for them to see His might, His deliverance, and fully put their trust in Him. There are many circumstances that we come to in our lives that can look horrible and yet be totally in God's plan. What appears to be to us A desperate situation is nothing difficult for God to overcome. This is a part of what we need to learn from these kinds of miracles. We see things very differently than God does. And you begin to see this in the story. Let's go on, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Only to be silent. That's a statement of having really great trust in God. And there's a, there's a fabulous psalm that I, that I like that teaches us this total trust in God. It's Psalms 46. It's 11 verses. Here we go. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease and ends Of the earth. He breaks the bow, the bow, and shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is with us. I love that. Be still and know. We don't have to be all agitated about whatever is before us because God is with us and he fights for us. So now let's go back to, to the story in Exodus because even though it looks so terrible, God has a massive, incredible plan. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the hosts of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Coming between the hosts of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So there's, a, there's some protection going on as all this is unfolding. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said... Let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What what an amazing story, it's it's amazing, and in some ways it seems unbelievable it's amazing it, this is this is one of those places every time i go here i just i just think this is so incredible what would you have thought what would you what would go through your mind if you were a part of the nation of israel and and you've you've come to this the shore you're you're at the water's edge and it parts and there's a wall of water over here and there's a wall of water over here and you walk through in between these two walls of water and you're on dry ground. What would go through your mind? You're walking through there and you look at the wall and boom, there goes a squid. <laughs> what? How amazing is this? And it's dry ground so this, this huge group of people the nation of Israel walks through this sea on dry ground. Is that absolutely amazing? For some, it seems unbelievable and And the critics throughout history have have come up with all kinds of ways to to tell us that well this is this is not really true but That's not what we understand in Scripture. God's Word is true. I take this as a historical event. This is an event that actually happened. Well, Pastor, how can you say that? Well, I can say that because that's the way it's presented in Scripture. There are some critics who, who want to, to pull this down and make it into some kind of strange mythological story. And one of the places they go is, is well, they, they really didn't follow the path to the Red Sea. They went through the Reed Sea, which is only kind of a marshy area. It, it makes it easier to think of, right? Not really. One of the reasons the critics go there is that the Hebrew Yam Suf can refer to, it can mean Reed Sea or it can mean Red Sea. It depends on the context. The problem is that all the way through Scripture, we find evidence that the context is Yam Suf means Red Sea. And, and here's, here's why I say that. If you look at 1 Kings 9.26, that that passage describes King Solomon building a fleet of ships on the shore in the land of Edom along the shore of the Red Sea. Red Sea. What words do they use in 1 Kings? Yam Suf. So the Bible itself is saying it's the Red Sea. And there's more to that because when, when they translated the Hebrew... Into Greek, that's the Septuagint, the earliest translation of the Hebrew Bible. They consistently translated this as Red Sea. So there's another s- spot that we can there's another place, you know, it's red, not read, it's red. How about the New Testament? So so we're using the Bible to, to, to help us understand really what's the meaning here. And the New Testament writers used the Greek words meaning Red Sea. Very specific. Not Red Sea, but Red Sea. One of the places I like is in Hebrews 11, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. And there's no question there in the Greek. It's Red Sea. They crossed as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So Hebrews is using this as reality. The Red Sea. Now... Another place I think we need to go is, regardless of of how you want to deal with Yom Suf, you know, Red Sea, Reed Sea, the Bible is very clear about what happened. Let's not lose our place. Let's not miss the point. The point of this historical event is that God supernaturally parted a large body of water so the Israelites could cross on dry ground. When the Egyptian army pursuing them Came into that same dry ground, if you will, or in the parted seas, he destroyed them with an overwhelming deluge of water. Now, that that huge deluge of water doesn't work very well in my mind if it's a swamp. The Bible portrays this as a historical fact, so we should too. Another place that does this is is in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says in verse 10, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over? He's not talking about marshland. He's talking about the sea. He's talking about a supernatural event that God did to prove who he was. We're going to see this many times as we go through this series. If we maintain a consistent, literal reading of the Bible, the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea are real historical events. And those events have more than one purpose. One of the purposes of this is that it points forward to the saving work of Christ for his people. In this miracle, God does some other things as well. He's he's pointing forward to Jesus, but he's also demonstrating his power and his authority over nations and over nature. It's all his. He can do anything he wants to with it, and he has the power and authority to do whatever he wants to. We also understand this because Paul connects the exodus from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea to salvation in Christ. The apostle says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Paul makes the connection. If you notice, Paul says all were baptized into Moses. They passed through the water. Just as the Israelites were baptized into Moses, Christians, believers, are baptized into Christ. Paul says this in Romans 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We begin to put these things together. In the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, God provided a physical salvation from a physical slavery. The nation of Israel was in a a situation of slavery. God provided a means for them to be removed, redeemed, rescued from that slavery. Do you see the connection? Through Christ, the believer is given spiritual salvation from spiritual slavery. Huge connection. The Israelites were were slaves to the Egyptians. And each one of us has been a slave to sin. That's That's what we see. Remember, that that idea of slavery is used many times in the New Testament, speaking about how we need to be saved. I was reminded of what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, beginning of verse 34. Jesus answered them, he's talking to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. The greatest freedom that the nation of Israel experienced at that time in history was when the sea came back on the Egyptian forces. They passed through the water. The Egyptians did not. They were truly free. No one from Egypt pursued them after that. When we come to Christ, we are saved from the slavery to sin. The parting of the Red Sea finalized the redemption of his people from slavery in Egypt. That, was, that put an end to it. This miracle foreshadows or foreshadowed God's redemption of his people from slavery to sin through the work of Christ. God has a plan. And it does not matter how difficult your situation might appear. There may be a Red Sea right in front of you, and you may feel trapped. You may not think that there is any way out of the situation you're in. But God is able. God cares. God knows. And it doesn't matter when we put our trust in Him. He knows. And He has the power and the authority and the ability to do whatever needs to be done. Are we willing to trust Him? And the first place we do that is with our trusting in him to redeem us from slavery to sin through the work of Christ. Father, I thank you for showing us again what you can do. I thank you that in, in these miracles, you show us your, your power and your authority, but you also show us that you care. You care about your people. And you show us that you have a plan. And that plan very often involves the supernatural and it involves things that we won't be able to understand. Father, I thank you that you know each one of us. You know our hurts. You know our needs. Thank you that you care and that you love us You desire for there to be a me. I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross to purchase us out of our slavery to sin. And I thank you that because we have been purchased, we have also been adopted. And we can come into our Father's presence and be received with perfect love. Thank you, Father God, that you watch over us and care for us. Thank you for the work that you have done. Thank you for your plan. And thank you that you are awesome. In Christ's name. Amen.